0: Well, good morning. How are you guys doing today? So, I take it no one drowned since you guys are all here the last two days. I know we're thankful for the rain, but goodness, that was a, quite a lot of it. So I'm glad you guys could all make it here and you've hopefully been able to dry out and all that kind of good stuff. But since you guys are here today, let me tell you something. You have picked an excellent Sunday to be here. You've picked a great Sunday to be here. The reason why is that we're starting a brand new series called Creating a Legacy. And so you guys get to be here on day one. And so for today and for the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about creating a legacy. And what we're talking about is that in a couple of months, as you guys have probably heard, we get to move into a new building. And so, yeah, absolutely, yeah, we can, we can, we can cheer for that, we can clap for that. And so what we wanted to do is just kind of talk a little bit about what is it going to be like to move into a new building? What are, we, what are we going to need to be preparing for? What are we going to need to be talking about? How are we going to do it? And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to just talk about our new building. But before we get into all of that, I have a question for you guys. How many people in this room are over the age of 21? You are over the age of 21. Okay. So only you guys can answer. Question is, how many of you would say Guinness beer is a beer that you prefer, or a beer that you like. Okay, only over 21. Okay. Promise you that is not a trick question. And you're like, okay, where's this going? What are you doing here, Jeremy? Okay, well, here's the reason I ask this. I've been reading an amazing book called The Search for God in Guinness. Now, I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and... I was listening to this guy that wrote this uh, book, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I'm going to pick this up and read it. And I've been reading it the past couple of weeks, and there's this really interesting story behind Guinness Beer. And that's why, like I said, if you're under 21, this does not apply to you, but um, the guy who founded Guinness, Arthur Guinness, was a very, very interesting man. He said, okay, look, I've started this company, and it's doing well, and I've got this building. And then he encounters God, and he basically, his whole life switches around, and he says, look, I've been given a lot by God. I've been given a lot of resources, and what I'm going to do is from this day forward, I'm going to use what God has given me to bless others. And as I'm reading about this, he basically changes the history of Ireland through his company and through the good works that he did. He started, he started to notice that, like, okay, we have a massive problem with, with education in Ireland. And this is, like, in the 1700s, and the early 1800s, and he says, look, All of these kids are growing up and they don't know how to read and write and they don't really have any connection to God whatsoever. So he founded the very first Sunday schools in Ireland. He copied a model that he'd seen used in England and he said, okay, what we're going to do is we know the kids don't have to work on Sunday. And so what we're going to do is we're going to teach them to read and we're going to teach them to write using the Bible so that they get to know more about Jesus and they also get skills that will help them later on in life. And so he also said, you know what, I'm seeing that most of my employees have really bad medical problems basically at that time if unless you were wealthy if you got sick your choices were get better on your own or die and he said okay this is not good and so he brought doctors on site to his company and said look I want you to give my employees medical care before the day starts, after the day ends, during breaks, whatever, whatever they need. I want them to know that health care, and he paid for it himself. He said, this is what God has given me. My company will be used for this. And so you take a look at this building. For over 200 years and through about six or seven generations of the Guinness family, they said, what God has given us, we will use to bless others. What God has given us, we will use to bless others. And this building in Dublin, Ireland, is responsible for numerous amounts of change in the city, and in the nation, because God said, I'm going to take a building, and Arthur Guinness said, I'm going to take what I've been given by God and use it to bless others. And it's an amazing, amazing story. And it got me thinking, what will the legacy of our new building be? What will people say about our building 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 40 years from now? What will people say about this new building on North Market? And it got me thinking, is like, okay, well, before we can really talk about the future of our building, we kind of need to know, how did we get here? Like, how did adventure get here? How did we get to this moment in time where we can actually talk about moving into a new building, a home of our own? And so I started doing some research, and the story starts about 2,000 years ago. Starts with this man named Jesus, believe it or not. And so what I looked at, is like, okay, I want to know the history of how we got here. And so this is what I found. In 33 AD, Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead, thus establishing Christianity. After he rose from the dead, he spent 40 days appearing to over 500 people and then returned to heaven, leaving his followers with a simple message. Go to the ends of the earth, make disciples, teach them to obey what I've commanded you. When Jesus left, there were 11 disciples and around 120 believers. Fifty days later, the Holy Spirit came upon Peter. He preached a powerful sermon. 3,000 people heard it and gave their lives to Jesus. The following year, in 34 AD, a man named Stephen became the first to die for Jesus when, after telling others about who Jesus was, he was stoned to death. Three years later, in 37 AD, a man named Saul became a follower of Jesus. He changes his name to Paul and spends the next 40 years planting churches all over the Mediterranean. The gospel makes its way into, for the first time into Europe. In 80 AD, people said, you know what? More people need the hope of Jesus. And so the gospel spread as far as modern-day France and into Tunisia and Africa. By AD 100, the good news of Jesus had reached modern-day India all the way to Sri Lanka, but it doesn't stop there. AD 174, people who loved Jesus and loved others took the good news of Jesus into Switzerland, Austria, and Belgium. Fast forward a few hundred years. By 595 AD, the first missionaries are sent into what is now England, and in the first year, 10,000 people gave their life to Jesus in one year. By AD 635, the first Christians have reached all the way into China, and now there are more Christians in China than any other country on earth. It doesn't stop. People keep loving Jesus. They keep bringing hope. By AD 740, Irish monks have made their way all the way to Iceland, and this is the furthest west the gospel has ever been. It wasn't until AD 1493 that the first Spanish missionaries made their way to North America, and the gospel arrives on this continent for the first time. It took almost 300 years until A.D. 1769 before any Christians came to California, and the first places that they landed were San Diego and Monterey because people needed to hear the good news of Jesus. It would be another 80 years until 1849 before the first church was established in this new little town called Sacramento, and churches would continue to be established and people would continue to hear about the good news of Jesus. Fast forward all the way to 1994, there was a man named Rick Stedman who said, okay, I felt a call to reach families, and there's this place outside of Sacramento, this place called Roseville, and we need a church there, and so he established a church called Adventure in a place called Roseville. In 1997, he hired this man named Scott Matthews on board onto his staff, and in 2003, he sent Scott Matthews and a team out and said, hey... More people need to hear the good news of Jesus. More people need to know what's going on. And so they planted a church in the suburb of Sacramento called Natomas. And so for the last 13 to 14 years, in Natomas there's been this church called Adventure that's moved around from place to place. And we're finally, in a few months, going to have a permanent home to call our own. But guys, the legacy that we have as part of the church did not just start 13 years ago. It started over 2,000 years ago. We are part of a long, huge history of people who've said, you know what, what we've been given we're going to use for others. What we've been given, we're going to use so that others can know the hope of Jesus. And so as we talk about this new building that we're getting, as we talk about a permanent home, understand, yes, we get to create a new legacy, but it's part of a larger legacy that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And as we talk about what will it be like to be in a new building, I want to share with you something that I really hope is true of us. When people talk about our building, I hope they talk about a legacy of love, a legacy of people who are willing to do whatever it took so that others could know the hope of Jesus. I've found a passage of Scripture, and a lot of people refer to it as the Hall of Fame passage of Scripture, but it perfectly encapsulates what I would love for our legacy to be like. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. If not, we're going to put it on the screen for you. But it's a passage of Scripture that talks perfectly about what our legacy could be. So in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32, this is what it says. It says, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, speaking to us today, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For over 2,000 years, people have given everything, literally their lives, living in caves, living in holes in the ground, so that other people can know the hope of Jesus. And so as we talk about moving into this new building, I would love for us to have a legacy that says, we do whatever it takes to serve others. We do whatever it takes so that others can know the hope of Jesus. Now, what does that mean on a practical, tangible level? Every single Sunday, there are people here that are working hard to make sure that people know the hope of Jesus. They get here early. They unlock gates. They set up the stage. They're running soundboards. They're running light boards. They're checking kids into the children's ministry. They're watching kids as uh, we meet in here. There are people who are helping with the band. There's a whole team of people that every single Sunday are serving us, and it makes a difference. And I know some of you guys are thinking, okay, Jeremy, you just read about people who are like traveling across oceans and stuff like that. Are you trying to tell me that serving on a Sunday really makes a difference? I mean, does it really change anybody's life? And if that's you, and, and I admit I'm, I tend to be a bit cynical too, so if that's you today and that's your thought, here's what I want you to picture. Imagine that you've been working on inviting someone to church. Maybe for you it's a cousin, a sibling, a coworker." a grandson, a nephew, friend, relative, whoever. And you've been, you know, you've invited them over your house, you've had a good time, and you've tried to tell them about Jesus. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of not really ever sunk in. But then something happens one day. They lose their job. They get some bad news from the doctor. Something happens, a divorce, something like that. And they're like, okay. All right. I'll come to church with you this Sunday. I'll give God a shot. I guarantee you on that Sunday you start to evaluate everything through a completely different lens. When it's your friend coming to church for the first time, when it's your relative, when it's your spouse, when it's your cousin, you're like, please, God, make sure the greeters are nice, but not too nice, you know? Make sure they shake the hand, but it's like they don't hold on for too long. And please, God, you know my sister, she's bringing her kids, they're bratty and crazy. Please make sure the kids' workers know that, like, to treat them nice and that, the, that they're nice people to the kids. And God, please make sure, like, the... The sound and the lights are all working, and and God, please make sure the band like uh, when the, when we're singing, make it a song that just my friend can just lose themselves in the moment and just really feel God's love. Please make sure like you know this whoever's speaking says something that it makes sense and it's not weird and goes off in a hundred different directions. You know, on that particular Sunday, you care a whole lot about every single thing that happens here because on that Sunday, it's your friend, it's your relative, it's someone you care about. And you're like, man, this might be the only Sunday, the only chance that we get. And on that Sunday, you care about all those little things. Now, that might happen once or twice a year for you, where it's that Sunday you're bringing someone. But that Sunday is every Sunday for someone here. Every single Sunday, there is someone here, maybe for the first time, maybe for the last time. They're giving God one shot. They're giving God one chance they're like, okay, God, things have progressed. I'm willing to try this once. And on that Sunday, every single one of those volunteers that serve are making a difference. Long before someone ever walks in here into the, lo- into the auditorium, they've kind of made up their mind about God based on how they were treated in the lobby, based on how they were treated in the parking lot, based on how they were treated as they checked their kids in. They've made up a lot of decisions about God way before they ever walk into this room. And so every single person on our team that serves is helping bring Jesus' hope in an extremely tangible way. Every single one of them is saying, okay, hey, look, I care enough about others that I will sacrifice for their good, for their behalf, because they matter to me and they matter to God. And I, usually when I'm talking about this, there's always some pushback. They're like, Jeremy, I get what you're saying about serving, and I agree, but you don't understand how busy I am. And if I ever get to have that conversation with you one-on-one, here's what I usually like to talk about. You guys ever remember that guy or girl that you knew, or maybe you know him right now, but maybe if you're married for a while, there's always that guy or girl you hung out with that, was like that, that swore they would never get married. They're Like, cost costs too much money, it's too restrictive on my freedom, it's, you know, I've got too many other things going on, I'm not going to get married. And then you talk to them six months later and they're engaged. You're like, what What happened? Like you swore you would never get married. Did it all of a sudden become cheap, easy, and convenient to get married? And they're like, "No, I found somebody I loved that made those things unimportant." And so, see, the same thing is true here. I'm not going to lie to you. It will never be convenient to get up early on a Sunday morning when you can sleep in. It just won't. I like to sleep in. I would rather do that. It will never be easy to get up, unlock doors, make things ready. It will n- rarely on if you're working with kids. Do they come up to you and say, "Hey"? You have completely changed my life today. I will behave for the rest of my life. You have changed my life 180 degrees. I'm walking in a new direction. Thank you so much for serving us four-year-olds. It never happens. It never happens. It's only way, way years later that they realize the difference you made. It never gets easy. It never becomes simple. It never does this. But guess what? It's not that those things aren't true. It's that as a collective church body, we found something that we love more. We love people more than we love our own convenience. We love people more than we love sleeping in. We love people, and we love the hope that Jesus brings, more than we like the ability to not ever have to serve anyone else. And what's really funny, and what I was really thinking about, is that in this particular environment, in the city of Sacramento, that's more true than a lot of other places. One of the reasons my family moved here, other than the fact that you guys don't have snow, one of the reasons that my family moved here is that Sacramento is one of the most unchurched areas in the entire United States. There's an organization called Stadia that does a lot of church planning and uh, gathers a lot of statistics about um, different areas and different churches and stuff like that. And they said, okay, in the the greater Sacramento region, you have about 2.5 million people. So not just Sacramento, but anything that you would call the greater Sacramento region. There's about 2.5 million people. 90% 90% of them don't have a church that they belong to. 90% of the people in our city would not know what the hope of Jesus is because they've never experienced it. We have an amazing opportunity every single day to invite someone to experience that. And our city needs it more than most cities in the United States. And so when I was talking to my team this week, and I was like, okay, guys, I'm going to be talking about this on Sunday. Give me some real numbers. Don't give me pie in the sky, you know, it's raining gold. Give me real numbers. What do we actually need? Because when we move into this new building, we know some people are going to come and just check it out out of curiosity. Usually, when you move into a new church, there's this thing where about you have a bump in attendance somewhere between, you know, 20 to 50%, a bump in attendance of just people who are curious friends that will show up for the first time or something like that. And so I said, okay, if we're going to move into a new building, if we're going to be doing this, give me some real numbers on what that's going to look like. What do we need to do this well? And here's what they gave me. In worship tech and creative arts, we need about 10 volunteer roles. If you don't know what worship and stuff like this, so not just the people who are on on stage singing and playing instruments, but the people in the back who run the lights, the sounds, the people who handle our social media and website stuff, there's about 10 roles there. Connections and operations, they need about 10 people. If that's the people who greet you when you walk in, hand out bulletins, usher, the people who will be doing, uh, providing security at our new campus, providing uh, parking lot attendance, those kind of things. Children's ministry, we need about 18. We've uh, looked at the numbers and said, okay... In this area, we have a lot of families. Natomas is a region that's concentrated with families. When we move into our new building, we're going to need about 18 more people to jump on board our children's ministry team. In student ministry, we've got about six volunteer roles that are open. And so if we want to have a legacy of really loving people well, if that's the legacy that we want to create, we need about, what is that, 44? We need about 44 people today to jump on board. And this is not a new problem. So if you're like, well, what's, what's, what's been going on? Like, how can we need so many people to jump on board? Well, that's a good problem to have because we have a good opportunity. Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, here's how he described it. When he was looking out about the people of the city of Jerusalem, he said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, Jesus was telling him, he's like, look, there's there's a couple things that aren't going to run out. My love and compassion and care for people is not going to run out. My love and compassion will last until the end of time. The other thing he says is, look, the needs of the people are not going to run out. There are always people who need hope. There's always going to be people people who are helpless, who are harassed, who are afraid. Those two things aren't going to change. The only limiting factor are the workers in the field. The only limiting factor are the people who say, I will serve others. My compassion will last. The needs of the people will last. The thing that bridges the gap are the number of people willing to serve, that are willing to jump in, that are willing to say, you know what? Yes, I like sleeping in, but I'm going to care about people more. That's what's going to change. That's what's going to make the difference. It's people who say, There's, you can talk about love or you can put love into action and serve others. And we're going to be a group of people that puts love into action and serves others. So if you're here today... Inside your bulletin, you'll see a little card that looks like this. It's what we call our Connections card. We, we have them in there every single Sunday. And if, you, if you're willing to join our team and jump in and start serving people, what we'd love for you to do is fill this card out. On the back of it, check the I want to volunteer thing. If you know where you want to serve, write it in. If you have no clue where you want to serve, we'll help you figure it out. We'll let you try a couple different spots. We'll make sure that you have a great fit. Because like if you're serving with four-year-olds and like after a week or two you realize... Jeremy, I'm probably going to kill some of those kids. I don't think that's the legacy we want to have. I'm like, you're right. That's not the legacy we want to have. So we'll help you find a different area. If you're a people person, we will put you in an area where you get to interact with a lot of people. If the last thing you want to do is talk to 40 people on a Sunday morning, we'll find something for you behind the scenes. But what we desperately need is about 44 people to jump on board our team and serve in some capacity so that when we move into this new building, every single person that walks through feels loved. Every single person that walks through feels welcome. Every single person feels like, okay, this is a place where I feel like I matter. From the moment I pulled in to the moment I left, I'm not quite sure what I think about Jesus yet, but I can tell you those people love him, and I felt like those people really, really loved me. If that's the story we want to see happen every single Sunday, we need about 44 people to jump on board. Now, as we wrap up and as we kind of wind down, I want you guys to just do something for me for a second. Picture that it's many, many, many years in the future, all of us are dead, okay? And we're in heaven. And a group of people walk up to us and they say, thank you so much for... What goes in that blank? What will they thank us for as a church? I doubt they come up and say, thank you so much for always thinking of yourself and your own needs. Thank you so much for always sleeping in every chance you got, and always thinking someone else would do it, you know. Obviously, that's not what they're going to say. What will they say, though? If we can meet five or six people in heaven, what will they say? Thank you so much for serving my son or daughter. You had no idea what my husband and I were going through, or my wife and I were going through at the time. And for you to be there every single Sunday made a huge difference in my son's life. He was going through a really rough time. Thank you so much for being a greeter. Because you were one of the only people that smiled at me during my whole week. Thank you so much for being part of the worship team. I can't tell you how many times I look forward to coming on Sunday and just getting a chance to sing and worship and forget about life's problems for a while. Thank you so much for serving others. My cousin is in heaven because of what you were doing. My brother is in heaven now because of what you were doing. My family is together as a whole because of what you were a part of and what you were doing. Thank you so much for serving. All of us want to be a part of things that matter. And in order to do that, we've got to let go of the things that hinder and start doing the things that matter. I know we're busy. I've not met anyone over the age of 11 who's not. Honestly, like they're, you, that's just part of life. But what I do know is that every single Sunday, we get one chance for somebody. We have one life We get one chance. For some of these people, we get one opportunity. We get one opportunity to move into this new building. We can't keep moving into the building every single year and trying it over or something like that. We get one opportunity. And then I want to just pull up that last passage in Hebrews. If you guys did, I think you have that on slide. Okay. This is what I want us to go walk away from. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, for 2,000 years people have been doing this. Let us throw off everything that hinders. What does that mean? Let us throw off schedules that say we can't serve. Let us throw off being overcommitted to things that don't really make a difference. Let us throw off, I, I need to focus on myself and not others. Let us throw off anything that gets in the way of loving others and the sin that so easily entangles. And Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God has a plan for this church in this new building, the race specifically marked out for us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Why? Because people matter, because every Sunday someone is here for maybe the first, maybe the last time. God loves them, and so do we. And so as a church, collectively, let us serve. Let us be a legacy of loving others, because they matter. If you would pray with me. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, my prayer is that we would be a church who serves. That when we talk about creating a legacy, people all over the city would say, Hey, look, there's something going on there. Those people in that building love us. And they do anything for anybody because they say we matter. And so, Lord, let that be our legacy. My prayer is that you would raise up a generation of people here. Lord, not just to serve. It's not just opening doors. It's not just running a light board. Lord, it's helping bring hope. And so, Lord, I pray that you would send us workers. I pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers. I pray that 40-something people this weekend would make that decision to fill out a Connect card and drop it in the offering basket here in a minute or two. Lord, I pray for the person in here in this room who's like, You know what? I need hope. My prayer is that they would understand that they are surrounded by a group of people who love them desperately and that there's a God in heaven who loves them desperately. My prayer is that we would be the people that take the love of God into our city and that we would serve them well. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.